Hello. Welcome to my art forum. It's time for Post-Orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your host, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-Orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood. Neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Okay, now we're good to go. Should we just shut the whole thing down and start fresh? No. This is this real is life, life, guys. This is how it goes. Um, so I've been doing some research today, and I wanted to... Okay, let me actually just stop right there. Okay. I've been doing investigative research. Are you even allowed to say that? And Yes, I'm allowed to say that. Um, let's go down and talk about research for a second. Because um, I looked up, there's uh, all these articles, you may have seen the meme going around, there's four different little memes from different mainstream corporate media telling you that you must not do your own research, you're too dumb, the experts are too smart, you can't just go on YouTube and find stuff and know what's going on. No, no, no. So, and I had a friend of mine who was really angry at me for using the term research, um, because his idea of research is you have to crush rocks and then send them to a lab or be the lab or and he's talking about scientific research so well a kind of scientific a kind of so i looked up classification of types of research yeah there's theoretical research applied research exploratory research descriptive research explanatory research qualitative quantitative (laughs) experimental etc 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 so since the root of the word research is to investigate uh i looked up investigative research uh, which is a name given to a collection of research techniques and methods used by researchers, including journalists, social scientists, and others. It is intended to unearth secret, hidden, or obscure information that can build a more comprehensive picture of the issue under investigation. Welcome to Post-Orthodoxy. That's what we're doing here today. Um... We're told that we can't really know what's going on and we should just throw up our hands and listen to the experts. Um, I have seen that that's a bad idea. (laughs) I think a lot of us have seen that that's a bad idea. Well, people that think the way that we think think that it's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, There are many, many... Critical thinkers? Well, no, we can't say that. I can. There are many, many, many people who are very loving and intelligent people mm-hmm. who think that you finding your own research is what's killing people. I'm not saying people who are not discerning or critical thinkers are not loving or intelligent. Yeah. I know you're not saying that. Okay, good. I'm I'm saying we have to bear we have to bear in mind that uh I I already forgot what you said. I'm going to just coast in. I'm going to I want to read three tweets. Yeah. From this one cat. His name is uh, Julius Ruchel, R U E C H E L. Okay. So if you're in Rochelle, Rochelle, if you're in the um, if you're in the Twitter verse, you can find uh, at Julius Ruchel. Um, I like the way he broke down these three things in three tweets. So he says anyone who is still hanging on to the narrative either one personally benefits from it in some way. Directly or indirectly. Two, enjoys control over others. Also, see number one. 
uh, finds meaning to be a part of uh, crusade, also see number one, or is afraid of ending up on the losing side of the war, see number one. Let's read number one again. Personally benefits from it in some way, directly or indirectly. Right. Um, Where on there is there room for people who really think that there is a virus killing millions of people and they care about that? They're afraid of ending up on the losing side of the war. Hmm. Because that's the big story. That's the majority accepted story. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're invested in that story. Okay. And if they go to the minority view or the more critical view, then they might lose as in die or as, have their loved ones die. No. No, if they actually entertain the other idea, that means they're leaving them behind a tribe. Yeah. It's losing love, as you like to say. It's losing acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's losing your tribe. So there's people are personally benefiting from the narrative in some way, and that's why people are supporting it. And a lot of it is about love and acceptance and being on the right side, the correct side of things. Um, his second tweet says it was perfectly understandable why many were terrified early in the pandemic, but at this point they have to make a conscious effort to shield themselves from facts, logic, and morality in order to sustain their commitment to this insanity. Mm -hmm. That's a big Keep phrase. Going. That's a lot of, that's a lot of something, something. The third tweet, this isn't about fear anymore. It is tribal. This is about control. This is about ideology and group identity. Fear is merely the excuse, a veneer to justify darker impulses. That's why evidence won't stop this. It's a raw power struggle, monkey instinct, monkey instinct competing for territory. How does all that make you feel? I do understand the primal... What? Yeah, facts don't matter, is what he's saying, anymore. Wait, I thought you asked me how it made me I'm, feel. Yes, I'm just summing <laughs> up those three tweets. So, <clears throat> I do, I do recognize that a lot of my friends and well-meaning loved ones um, are being driven by fear, are being motivated by traumas, and usually by traumas that they haven't evaluated or aren't aware of, and usually they are mislabeling fear of something as um, a motivation towards something. They think that they're motivated towards preservation of life but what they're really afraid of is any kind of suffering or what they're really afraid of is losing a loved one which is completely understandable i don't want to lose my loved ones and i don't right. want, i don't like suffering but i'm aware that those things are part of life and i do cost benefit analysis to decide if my fear outweighs quality of life so sum that up again I, th I think you should read both of those tweets again. The three tweets? Yeah, because because they're bringing out some really important things. But I want I'm 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 always going to be I'm always going to go back to being the voice of whichever side isn't being included in the dialogue. Right. Well, he is being reductive because he says anyone who's still hanging on to the narrative is either. Mm -hmm. And then he and he gives three examples, but he's basically saying they're the first example. No yeah. matter what the example is. And the first example is they personally benefit from it in some way, directly or indirectly. And I think the yeah. per, the larger personal benefit that most people are gaining from this is remaining in the herd. Right. Remaining in the tribe, feeling safe within a majority accepted reality. So maybe if we say it like this, because what we're talking about is a conscious reasoning and an unconscious reasoning. Okay. 
So the conscious reasoning for most of our friends on the left is yeah. that they're worried they they think they're saving people's lives. That's what they think. That's their conscious reasoning right. and conscious motivation is that we should do these things to save people's literal lives from a deadly plague. And what the data is showing that that is not happening. Is the measures that are being enforced are not making a difference in loss of life. Well, they are in terms of actually increasing loss of life. Right. The data is not stopping the deadly plague in the way that people are being told that it's stopping the deadly plague. And so there's a subconscious... I would agree that the there's effects, a subconscious the, the reaction reason, to the virus is not doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a subconscious motivation that he's talking about in these tweets um, that these people are having, which is that they if they were to look at a different opinion or change their minds or evaluate the data for themselves, there's perhaps a subconscious fear that they might find out that they were wrong all along. Right. And at this point they can't find that out. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to, but I think that. that's mostly subconscious. I would say I that agree. most of my leftist friends that are quote unquote clinging to the COVID narrative um, are doing it because they actually think that, that, that they're saving people's lives. So what you articulated in the early days of post-Orthodoxy were the various phases uh, or stages or territories around the difficulty of changing your mind. Oh, yeah. And one of those is cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Whenever new information comes in that challenges your group identity reality. Yeah. Um, his second tweet says, uh, at this point, they have to make a conscious effort to shield themselves from facts, logic, and morality in order to sustain their commitment to this insanity. It's his judgment of the situation. That is where cognitive dissonance, the, the idea is we have to save everybody. We have to save grandma mm -hmm. by getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. The data is showing that that's not really the right. story. So rather than spending energy to be willing to evaluate data and change your mind, you're spending energy to ignore data and you're, keep your mind the same way. Or, or finding a way to um, demonize people who have a different point of view than you. You have to make them worse people. It can't just be that you're not going to change Otherwise, your mind. Right, it's, this is, it's that also those people are bad. So rather than listening to the new information that might change your mind, you spend your time otherizing people who have different points of view in order to not face what that what they're saying with right. that point of view. Right. You have to make them bad so you don't have to listen to them, which brings us to our next subject. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump. Oh, um, not a fan of Donald Trump. It's okay if you're a fan of Donald Trump. I don't have feelings about you if you feel about one way or the other. Also not a fan of Joe Biden. Not a fan of Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, I think there are a couple of cartoon characters and, um, you know, they're political figures. They're, they're, they're Punch and Judy characters as far as I'm concerned. Um, old Deb on Twitch says fear obscures everything. Yeah. Fear is the mind killer. It as they say in Dune, you know. Is that? Oh, you're right. That's a Dune line. It's like from her prayer, Fear is the Mind Killer. Yes. Thank you, Old Deb, by the way. Old Deb recently joined the ranks of post-Orthodoxy subscribers this week. Oh, yeah. We have people starting to subscribe. We spent two years getting ourselves into a position where we can start accepting support for the work that we're doing. And, and thank you, Old Deb, for thank you, Deb. being one of those people early in to the story. Um, it's only going to get better from here. Uh, there's another guy that I found, uh, Mark... Uh, Ching Chingizi. Okay. His name is Mark Chingizi, the unvaccinated. <laughs> Twitter. At Mark Chingizi. C H I N G I Z I. 
Um, and he says, if you're a partisan, your view on COVID matters merely, your your view on COVID, COVID matters merely follows the political wind. So say that one more yeah, time. Yeah, let me say it again. If you're a partisan, your view on COVID matters merely follows the political wind. Okay. As in partisan meaning... If you, you, have a, yeah. you do you align your choices to the party rather than insisting that your party align to your morals or that your party be held accountable by current science and data. Yeah. Um, so what he's done is he's dug into the archives of some lady named Amy Siskind. Okay. Uh, Amy Siskind is a, an author, apparently. Um, and he pulls out a tweet from her archive from uh, August 24th, 2020. This is when Donald Trump was president. We're getting close to the election. And this is what she says. Okay. She says, Trump is taking a page from Putin's playbook and trying to bully the FDA into making a COVID-19 vaccine available before stage three of testing is complete. And then in all caps, she says, he will kill us all. Yeah, the liberals conveniently forget that Trump was in favor of early treatment and vaccination for yeah. this disease. So here she is saying, because he's going ahead of the science and doing this, trying to do an emergency use authorization, that he's going to kill us all. Okay. Right? Then he, he compares that to a tweet from November 12th of this year. Oh, and it's and she says Austria is doing a lockdown only for the unvaccinated. Smart. Ah. <laughs> what makes this tweet really sweet <coughs> is that if you Google uh, Amy Siskind, you find a book that she wrote called um, "The List: A Week by Week Reckoning of Trump's Authoritarian Measures." Blah blah blah. Anyway, it says the shocking first draft history of the Trump regime and its clear authoritarian impulses based on the viral internet phenomenon, the weekly list. So she just started daily making, demonstrating how Trump is a fascist and authoritarian. And then turned it into a book. And then turned it into a book. And then here she is saying that Austria is doing a lockdown only for the unvaccinated. And that's smart. She this is a lady to, who authored a book on authoritarianism. She needs to do another book. She needs to do another I don't know if she does. Um, <laughs> so this is the problem with political partisanship being the bias or filter through which you look at science mm -hmm. or medicine. This is what got us kicked off the local radio stations. We said, this may not be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to be willing to let information change our perspectives instead of forcing reality to conform to our beliefs. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't have time for that. A lot of people just want to know who to trust and who to believe. Absolutely. Right? If you're who, like, what authority can I trust? So Fauci has become that guy. If you're like working two jobs or you have three kids or you're a single parent or whatever it is, you know, maybe you're taking care of an elder full time. Gosh, you don't. You just need to feel like you can trust your news sources, and unfortunately, most of the news sources people have chosen to trust are liars. If you're on Twitter, or even if you are not on Twitter, you can find Post Orthodoxy on Twitter mm -hmm. and still read our tweets. You don't yeah. have to sign up. Just if it, it's great. If you just don't want to be on Twitter, you can go there, and because this is where we are sourcing a lot of our information. We reshare a lot of data from scientists. Scientists, pundits, you activists, find. people whose politics I don't agree with, mm -hmm. people whose politics I do agree with, but I don't always have to um, 
Uh, I'm looking at the, the individual tweets. This is what I like about Twitter is that I don't know these people. So I might be sharing tweets from a terrible person, but I might agree with one thing that a terrible person says. Which we should be allowed to which do. Which I'm okay with. Um, you, do, you, you don't agree with anything. You don't agree with everything that anybody, any one person says. How do I say that better? Hmm. There is no one person in your life that you agree with everything that they think and say. Right. I put. We I, need to have diverse voices and and diverse opinions and perspectives and diverse loved ones in our lives, and that means that you're going to agree about some things and disagree about other things. So I'm sharing a lot of information on Twitter because it's become impossible to do it on Facebook. Um, yeah. The AI um, censorship has become too strong, so I felt like I was just posting to the wind whenever I posted on Facebook. So if you want to see the kind of things that we're going through and tell us that you like it or tell us that we're that our sources are terrible and help us refine our own searches oh, yeah. for what's going on, please do so. Hey, drop a line. Where are you guys getting your news these days? Right. Let us know where your sources are. That's what we're always looking for, good sources. Um, Anywhere I find a piece of information about what's going on in the world, I always tend to um, then go and look up, if I'm curious, I go and look up three, three or four different sources about that same story, just so I know I'm not... I can pick up if one of them is very different than the others, then somebody's lying. Right. Uh, so I posted something today. It's an interview from Face the Nation. It's an interview with uh, Anthony Fauci. A fairly recent interview. And Face the Nation says lawmakers like Senator Rand Paul and Ted Cruz have called for Dr. Fauci to step down and be prosecuted over the course of COVID-19. Fauci scoffs at such threats, calling it noise. And then here's his quote. Well, he's so confident. They're really criticizing science because I <laughs> represent science, and that's dangerous. So, Excuse me, yeah, sir? You he, represent science? So uh, I what? said one person who has had no record of useful prescience in the course of the narrative claims to represent all of science. That's dangerous. He really does think of himself as a priest. Well, he's acting as a priest, and he's a partisan hack. So mm. all, he's still holding, he's being he's being upheld by the faith of people who think that he was the only sane person in the Trump administration during the pandemic. They're invested in him because he was seen as a contrast to Trump, as a science guy, who was calm and cool and going to say all this stuff. But he's been wrong at every juncture of this whole pandemic narrative. There's not a lot of places where he's been correct. Huh. His view on masks changed, not according to science, but according to political policy. That's not science. His idea around the vaccine is going to be safe and effective and you won't get sick and you won't spread it. That turned out not to be the case. And science is squishy. Sometimes you have to do stuff and find out. However, his position that we should lock everything down, his endorsement of the lockdowns, we, non-scientists, were able to look at the implications of what that would mean and say, that's probably going to cause more death and damage than the, than the, than the virus. But isn't that just you grandstanding and being confident in your own intelligence instead of listening to the experts that you're supposed to listen to? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, like I love the idea that I can know my own mind and know my own intelligence and my own ability to discern between information and positions um, but I also want to be on guard against the possibility that I'm just confirming what I really want to be true in the world. I do personally believe that the lockdowns caused more harm than good. And we're going to keep seeing those numbers come in over the years. 
Um, but when you say a professional lifelong scientist knows less about this than I do, I can see why people sound think you sound like you're crazy. I'm not saying he knows less. I'm saying his his he's not been prescient. What does prescient mean? He doesn't he doesn't his he has not been able to call how things will play out. He has not been able to prescribe something that ended up being a good idea. Mm. If he knows all the science, and that's I'm I'm setting this up because this is the core of what I wanted to talk about. Today. You're setting up the best case scenario, which is that Fauci is just misunderstanding the lockdowns, not that he's deliberately screwing people over. It seems that he might know more than what he says, and that his policy. This is something we've been saying for I've been saying for months is that his his what he is doing is policy and not medicine. Right. This is not about health policy. This is not about public health. This is about political policy. And I think that's dangerous. Right. Especially when he's not claiming to be a politician. He's claiming to represent all of science. All of science. That sounds like somebody should take him to task on this. I'm not a fan of Rand Paul. I'm not a fan of Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, but I think they're correct. On these issues. On these issues. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should be fans of politicians anyway. No. Um, so there's a little thing that got passed around. Um, it's a little clip from an, either a newspaper article or an online article. And the headline says, well, 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 look at what the hell just surfaced. And I'm going to read this little piece. Okay. And then I'm going to show you how I, how I, I'm not taking the piece at face value. I'm going to research all the things that they said. And see what comes out of it. I don't know who wrote this. I guess I can I can find it. We can find it. Um, I'll look it up. Well, I I have it over here. You, there's a uh, there's a Reuters fact check that has all the links to all the relevant things, which I have on my page over here. Um, it says, "Well, well, well, look what the hell just surfaced." And I'm going to read this little clip. It says, "The Virology Journal, the official publication of Dr. Fauci's National Institute of Health, okay. published what is now a blockbuster article." On August 22nd, 2005. Okay. Under the heading, get ready for this. Chloroquine, chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Shut up. Emphasis mined throughout. It says, the researchers say, we report that chloroquine... Now, this is not Fauci. This chloroquine. Is chloroquine. Yes. This is not Fauci. These are some scientists from this journal... Yeah. He's tightly trying to make it sound like Fauci was saying this, but these are scientists under Fauci, apparently. This is Fauci's institute. This is institute. He represents science. He represents all of science. Yeah. Um, it says, we report that chloroquine has a strong antiviral effect on SARS-CoV infection in of primate cells. Huh. Now, not humans. Um, these inhibitory effects are observed when the cells are treated with the drug either before or after exposure to the virus, suggesting both prophylactic and therapeutic advantage. Meaning a preventative treatment. And a vaccine. Yeah. Um, this means, of course, that Dr. Fauci... Well, maybe not vaccine is the right word, but a preventative treatment and a palliative treatment. So preventative, and a palliative, yes. So it can help you not get sick, and it can help you feel better once you do get sick. This means, of course, that Dr. Fauci... Now, this is this guy's own... He's, he's his, putting his... His, his uh, um, observations. His observations. Mm -hmm. This means, of course, that Dr. Fauci has known for 15 years that chloroquine and its even milder derivative, hydroxychloroquine, will not only treat current 
cases of coronavirus therapeutic, but prevent future cases prophylactic. So HCQ functions as both a cure and a vaccine. In other I still words, don't think the vaccine is the right word. But, okay, I'm just reading from yeah, this guy. I understand. So we can debate that. We can split some hairs further down the show if you want. Okay. Um, in other words, it's a wonder drug for coronavirus, said Dr. Fauci in uh, said Dr. Fauci's NIH in 2005. And uh, here's a quote: Concentrations of ten. I don't know what that thing is. Um, what, do you, how, what is that? Oh, I looked it up before. Um, concentrations, uh, concentrations of 10, some symbol I don't understand. UM. Yeah, UM. It's micrometers. Okay, concentrations of 10 micrometers <laughs> completely abolished SARS-CoV infection. Fauci's researchers add chloroquine can effectively reduce the establishment of infection and spread of SARS-CoV. Hmm. So that little clip, which is just a photograph, has been sent around. And people are like, Fauci knew. A long time ago. Why was this whole thing shut down? Yeah. So I did a little uh, investigative research. On that on that on, on that little So this was like a little newspaper clipping, like a meme of a newspaper clipping. Right. So that's being sent around. You yeah. can't like you can't like um cut and paste the phrases to the magazines, you can't click on hyperlinks, so you have to go type it all in yourself. So I did. So the article that they mentioned, uh, chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Here's the abstract. Severe acute respiratory syndrome is caused by newly discovered coronavirus, SARS-CoV. This is not SARS-CoV-2 because this is 2005. Newly discovered 2005. Oh, right, right, right. Original, original SARS. Original SARS. No effective prophylactic or post-exposure therapy is currently available. So this is them trying to find some therapeutic yeah. for SARS-CoV. Yeah. Okay. The results. We report, however, that chloroquine has strong antiviral effects on SARS-CoV infection of primate cells. These inhibitory effects are observed when the cells are treated with the drug either before or after exposure to the virus, suggesting both prophylactic and therapeutic advantage. In addition to well-known functions of chloroquine, such as elevations of... Anyway, it goes into some science of the whole thing. That guy broke down the basic punch. So then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take that that article and I'm going to Google the article because right. there's seems to be a strong media tendency, and I'm talking about Facebook and Google, to shoot down these ideas. They're saying that SARS-CoV has a medicine. So I thought, well, Google's going to shoot this down, right? Yeah, so, Google will be like, no, hydroxychloroquine, nope, stop. So the first thing was the article, because that's the title of the article. Second thing is a fact check from Reuters. Okay. We'll get to that later. <laughs> so this is Reuters, going to set the record straight. Fact check. Chloroquine SARS study does not prove hydro, hydroxychloroquine's effectiveness against COVID-19. So they're going to tell you why. Okay, tell us why. Now, this is where we start getting into some hoochie-fuji with the words. Paul Niehaus says, oh no, a cheap, plentiful, generic drug that works. Better outlaw it and take it, uh, talking about it so that billions we can make billions in vaccine profits without liability. Hmm. That could be a motivation. Hmm. Um, this study's, and this is a quote from the Reuters fact check. Okay. The study's focus 
with the then newly discovered SARS-CoV coronavirus that causes severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, not the SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19. While the two are both coronaviruses, they are different strains causing different diseases. Okay, that's technically true. Technically true. So let's go to the next... Uh, I'm skipping ahead. These are some paragraphs that I pulled out of the whole fact-check article. As of this fact-check's publication, evidence for chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine's effectiveness against COVID-19 remains inconclusive. That is not the same thing as saying it does not work. That's true. They also said that about vitamin D. Let's go to this little excerpt that I... This next excerpt that I pulled out. Okay. In June... I guess I'm assuming it's June of this year. In June, World Health Organization, uh, the World Health Organization discontinued experimental treatments involving the use of hydroxychloroquine and lopinavir and ritonavir after the initial results of an international trial called Solidarity showed that the drugs produced little or no reduction in the mortality of hospitali uh, hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Now, what do we know about these things, guys? Let's break that down. Tell me what you get out of that. So, the I, I as an investigative journalist, I've learned with various issues that I'm researching to keep an ear out for trigger words, yes. such as fully vaccinated right. or with COVID. Right. Um, and the trigger word here for me uh, that makes me feel as though I need to read further is hospitalized patients. Mortality of ho hospitalized. Mortality of hospitalized patients. Because what's been lacking in the entire dialogue of the last two years is preventative treatments. Mm. No one has been telling any of their friends, loved ones, patients, or constituents about early treatments for this illness. Preventative or early. Anything. Right. Preventative or early. And so when they say it, hydroxychloroquine doesn't really reduce mortality of hospitalized COVID-19 patients, that tells me that they're not doing the right study. Because the study that we need to be doing and what's been talked about with things like vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, ivermectin, and hydroxychloroquine is if you take these things preventatively or early onset during your symptoms, then they severely reduce symptoms and mortality. So I'll just slide this over. This is that not, study isn't being done. This is not hydroxychloroquine. This is COVID nineteen uh, in Tokyo, Japan, hospitalized patients. Okay. After ivermectin recommendation. So this is not hydroxychloroquine. This is ivermectin. This is another one of those controversial drugs. So you see where um, the cases drop. Mm -hmm. It's hidden behind the screen there a little I'm bit. I'm scooching it. Yeah, you can see where once they introduced ivermectin, suddenly they got rid of people getting sick and going to the hospital. So Here, I'm just about... All right, so the case is dropped, and then what happened? This is where they introduced ivermectin. Oh, At okay. the top of that big peak. In Tokyo? In Japan. They're saying the World Health Organization discontinued the trial because it produced little or no reduction in the mortality of hospitalized hospitalized COVID-19 patients. So what the study that they're debunking mm -hmm. was saying was this keeps you from going to the hospital. That's the what they're saying. The study from 2005 about original SARS-CoV yep. was talking about preventative and early treatment use yes. of hydroxychloroquine. So they're quoting a study about people who are already so bad they're in the hospital near death. And then they tried some chloroquine. 
and then it didn't work. So let's just stop all trials, Ooh, right? Yeah. We can't risk that. Hmm. We can totally risk an untested vaccine, though. Yeah. And mandate it. Yeah. This is problematic. Um, so at the end of the Reuters fact check, we have this little summary. False. A 2005 chloroquine SARS study does not prove hydroxychloroquine's effectiveness against COVID-19. No. It proved its effectiveness against SARS-CoV. Yeah. Which is very similar. Yeah. Existing, in a different kind of study. In a different kind of study. Existing evidence of the drug's effectiveness against COVID-19 remains inconclusive. So we can't know. So this... But the, no title, the title says it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Which is a lie. Pay what no, the title needs to say is we haven't done sufficient studies to know whether or not early use of hydroxychloroquine saves lives. Here's where they do the here's where they do the the fuck you. Uh, fact check. Chloroquine SARS study does not prove hydroxychloroquine's effectiveness against COVID nineteen. Because it wasn't they were talking about SARS CoV. But technically, their title so is now not lying. Technically, technically, the title, the title is title not lying, lying. But the undiscerning person will look and say, oh, well, this is a bullshit study put out by Fauci's NIH. Okay. Mm. So, and uh, the article was produced by Reuters Fact Check Team. Read more about our work and fact check social media post here. Instead of doing that, read about this. Let's go to the <laughs> Pfizer page to... <coughs> To the Our People page. Ooh, to the guy that wrote the study? No, let's just go to Pfizer's oh, Our Reuters People Oh, Reuters fact page. check, right, yes. right, right. So Reuters fact check this, and you're like, well, who's Reuters? Well, they're just a news, independent fact checker news organization, right? Yeah. Well, let's go to the Pfizer Our People page. Well, we find this guy named James C. Smith. Who is James C. Smith? Well, he's on the board of directors for Pfizer. Okay. Let's see who he is. Chairman of the Thomson Reuters Foundation. Uh, okay, wait. So this is James C. Smith is the chairman of Pfizer. He is on the the board of directors of Pfizer. Okay. And chairman of the Thomas Reuters Foundation. Reuters did the fact check telling you that a drug that is not Pfizer's cannot help you. That is at least sus. Chairman of the Thomson Reuters Foundation, a London-based charity... Supported by the global news and information provider. President, chief executive officer, and director of Thomas Reuters Corporation, a provider of intelligent information for businesses and professionals. So he was the chairman of that news organization. Now he's on the board of Pfizer. Weird. Huh. Strange. That seems a little sus. Couldn't he have just changed jobs or whatever? So this is how we find our information. There's a little glyph that says, hey, it looks like Fauci knew that the chloroquine could help you. Yeah. And then Reuters. The fact check, which is enough for a lot of people who are like bowing. Like, oh, yeah. Just ignore, ignore, ignore that data behind the curtain. Just ignore that. So, um, yeah. so Paul Niehaus uh, says first wave of COVID deaths were mostly the result of overzealous use of ventilators, criminally tragic. Yes. And Ted Deschner uh, confirms that with what we already know about remdesivir, mm -hmm. which is that it shuts down your vital organs and causes people to drown fluid on the lungs. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's it contributes to the immune system storm that 
overpowers your lungs, unfortunately. Um, and then they force feed air with a ventilator and kill. Is that a cytokine storm? Is that a cytokine cytokine storm? storm. I don't know if remdesivir is directly related to the cytokine storm, but but we've known for a long time that the generalized hospital treatments for COVID nineteen are inflaming the immune system instead of helping the immune system relax, so that or rather supporting the immune system and doing its job, so that people's lungs don't fill up with fluid. Right. So we have. Um, that's hydroxychloroquine. Now, uh, Ted Deschner also recommends Michael Jocko on Rumble. Okay. He said that he shares, he has a lot of different accredited doctors and scientists on his show discussing the various drugs. I don't know who this guy is, but I'm happy to check him out. Mm-hmm. And, and for those of you that are like, well, Rumble is a right-wing <laughs> website. Rumble is a platform, just like YouTube. Speaking of right-wing uh, websites... This so if Rumble is a right-wing website, then YouTube is a left-wing website, and you should get a variety of sources in your diet. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Have a balanced diet of sources. Uh, I've been seeing this, <coughs> this thread come out in a number of tweets on, on Twitter, and it's also mirroring my own feelings right now. Um, this is a quote from a guy named Trash Panda. Love it. At Trash Panda. Uh, you trash, get your news from Twitter? No, JetCat underscore Jesus. But you can find Trash Panda on Twitter. This is a quote that he said. Um, This is from 1126. I don't think the, quote, far right are what they were any more than the supposed left are. The former have moved to better politics, have been moved to better politics through an experience of mass oppression. The right? Yes. Fascinating. And the latter have been moved to fascist ones via a fear-based mass propaganda campaign. Mm, He's just speaking about recently. He's talking about recently. The right is not what the right was. The left is not what the left was. And yet people who are still absorbed in those identities think that they are. They think they're still in the same party. The beginning story about this lady who uh, decided to write a book about monitoring authoritarianism and then suddenly is endorsing authoritarian policies, Yeah, this is how the left is flipped. Right. No, the left. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. this is something I've been thinking so a, a it, lot about lately. How do I draw this? The, the right has been getting a little more right over time. That's what the right does. And then the left um, has been getting more and more and more right. And now it seems like the left just went like, um, whoop. No. The left and right all went right. I know. And now the left has like frog hopped over the right to far, far, far right fascism and authoritarianism. Authoritarianism, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm doing it from the audience's perspective. Right. I got you. I got you. So there's a book that I'm uh, reading right now. It came out from Heather Haying and Brett Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Stein, 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 Stein. I, I forget. Mandala Effect. Yes. Um, the book is called A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Uh, I've just started getting into it. I've been looking forward to reading it so that I could uh, do a review of it on the show. Mm-hmm. I've only gotten a few pages into it, but already I'm excited and starting to write another article. Um <laughs> They bring up a really interesting point about the traditional function of the left versus the traditional function of the right. Okay. 
And the way, and I've explained this on the show before, the way somebody explained it to me, and they said the traditional role of the right is to hearken back to when things were great. And we're going to get back to when things were great. The golden days, the good old days. We're going to get back to the good old days. And uh, we just need to stop doing the things we're doing and go back to the good old days and everything will be a-okay. That's, they that's, were, yeah. that's what Weinstein uh, would call culture. Yeah. That's culture. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back to that culture that we know and that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the traditional left is supposed to play the role of consciousness, mm-hmm. which is we need to get people to imagine something better than what is happening right now. So it's easier to get people to go back to something they know than to imagine something they don't know. Right, and something, you'd ha- something you're imagining in the future might be, it might not work out. But we know some people remember there being an experience of the good old days being good. And working out. Right. So it, but nobody knows if these things in the future are going to work out. So traditionally, the left has had the harder job of getting people to imagine something that has not been. Mm-hmm. And in my perspective, they abandoned that role sometime in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And started just... They just started following and saying, we're not as bad as those guys. Right, right, right. So um, we will also be tough on crime. Instead of changing the society that is causing a rise in crime, mm-hmm. we will just start cracking down on the rise in crime. That's what the, the rights approach was, and, and because that gets votes. Right, and right. It, it appeals to fear, and it appears it's sort of like a, a dog whistle for racism as well. Yeah. As long as we keep putting black people in jail, you'll be safe. Right. And that's what Biden is famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, so the traditional function of the left was supposed to be consciousness. The function of the right is culture. When... Culture is working. That's great. You don't need consciousness because it's working. When culture starts breaking down, that's when consciousness needs to be applied to find a solution to the broken culture. Evolution. Yes. So I was talking to one of your sisters who's going to school at Liberty University. And I said, how's it going to first year? First year at Liberty. Liberty, if you don't know what Liberty University is, how would you describe Liberty University? Liberty University started in 1971 as a very strict Baptist Christian school and has since expanded into a much less strict but still Christian university. Okay. So uh, I have feelings about that. Um, so, so do have, all the parents that want their children to be safe from the world right. as long as possible. I have feelings and judgments because I don't know <laughs> that. I don't know. I don't know that much. I just have. I have my sort of political bias that I just project onto that university and decide whatever I decide. Yeah. So your sister's going her first semester. She's getting after being a homeschooler her whole life. Homeschooler now going into the world, uh, going to Liberty University in a time of pandemic. So I'm like, how is it? How is it? How is it like going to school? And, and she says. Well, um, you, you know, you know, we're a really conservative school. So suddenly, I thought, really conservative. That means they're wearing masks and they're social distancing. And that's I what like, popped into your that's head. That's what popped into my oh, head. Oh, so funny. Because, but what she actually was describing her experience was very liberal. They don't give a damn about masks. They're not doing the social distancing. They're not doing band- uh, vaccine mandates. And I'm like, that is a liberal policy. Well, that's the definition of liberal in the dictionary. In the dictionary. So that's where, I, like, my first thought when she said they're really conservative was, I think, lockdowns, restrictions. Yeah. And she's saying opposite of that. 
So this is a, it's another sign that this idea of the left and right is it's not definitely what changing. we think it is anymore. Yeah. The conservatives and, really and the liberals. Yeah, yes. weird. Because um, conservatives should be like cautious, contained, restrained, conservative, conserving, conservation. Yes, my first preservation, thoughts. and then liberal is like open, generous, liberal, liberally, sprinkle liberally, pour right. liberally, right. more sh- more whiskey in the shot than you should have. That's, right, that's, a liberal pour. Yeah. Yes. So when she said the Campus of Liberty University is very conservative, my first thoughts were lockdowns, masks, vaccine mandates, and it was the opposite. Um, the poster child for conservatism is extremely liberal on this issue. My body, my choice, bodily autonomy, data-backed science. This is not what traditional Democrats would think traditional Republicans would be doing. No. The the liberals actually hate that the that the right is using the phrase my body, my choice. They hate it so much. <laughs> so like, this is the But it's logical. Sorry. And so then I went, meanwhile in, in Butte, Montana, the Gibraltar of Labor, the blue no matter who crew have gone proto fascist with censorship, coercion, condemnation, bullying, science as dogmatic religion, and scientists as a new priesthood. Um, it's a picture-perfect version of shock-induced aggression. Like the town, when I moved to Butte, when I helped start KBMF, the idea that Butte was the Gibraltar of labor, it was as liberal as you can get. We don't care if you're gay. We don't mm-hmm. care if you're black. We we are all about workers' rights. Not just reactive liberalism. Freedom of choice. But truly liberal. And they've become the, in just the eight years that I've been there, <laughs> it's one of the more fascist places that I've ever been, cult- culture-wise. In terms of people who think that they are liberal actually enacting uh, fascist ideology. This is where we're at with that story. Uh, I'm working on a piece. If you are interested in the things that I've been working on writing-wise, you can find my substack. It's darksevier.substack.com. I have a number of articles from my view on what's happening with the COVID narrative. And that's the new piece that I'm working on, which is really about the traditional function of the left and the right and how those words don't have the same meeting this week. So you guys are, Ted shared a news source with us where Mm -hmm. he's been getting a lot of data. Um, A guy who interviews doctors and scientists on Mm -hmm. Rumble, and that's great. So I'm looking forward to that. I really wanted to share that that one little thing grabbed me, the thing about Fauci saying, yeah, chloroquine is a really good, useful treatment. The fact that... Um, Reuters did such a bad, like, you don't have to be a genius to read between the lines of that Reuters fact check Mm -hmm. and find out that they, it's the same thing that they did with um, the piece that I did on Walensky, where, where, Walensky. Rachel Walensky, the director of the CDC. Where she says, there's two clips. It's a really, it's in one of the articles on my Substack. I highly recommend it, not just because I wrote it, because I feel like it's one of the linchpins in the story, Mm -hmm. where in March of this year, the head of the CDC says, if you get this vaccine, you won't get sick and you won't spread it. She said that on video. It's less, it's a little tiny clip. Next to that clip is August of this year, where this lady says, well, we've got some data that's come in. And it shows that uh, people who got vaccinated earlier are at heightened risk for more severe disease. 
And I thought, that's kind of an alarming thing to say, and I haven't, I'm surprised we didn't have any more discussion about We're that. We're not talking about that? So Reuters fact-checked that, and they fact-checked everything around that key phrase. Everything except the phrase that says... The phrase is really shocking, because what she's implying is that the earliest vaccinated are having increased risk of severe disease. So... It's interesting that she said earliest, because that means everybody will follow suit, it seems, because the vaccine hasn't changed. So if you take out earliest, because over time we will all have be in this, this category, people who have been vaccinated right. are at risk for increased severity because, of disease. Because the vaccine is not changing. The vaccine is not changing. Now, the virus in, li- is. in light of Omicron variant, I've been seeing articles where they're like, Pfizer is looking into new treatments for the Omicron variant, blah, blah, blah. Why? I don't, I don't get it. Like, all of these people are really smart scientists. Like, it's very easy. It's very easy to know that coronaviruses have always mutated. And we've never had a vaccine for coronaviruses for a reason. I don't know for why. For a reason. I don't know why, like... The whole narrative doesn't just come crap. That's not like that's not like me misinterpreting data from the health department in Israel because I'm not a statistician. That's just like the Wikipedia definition of coronaviruses explaining to you where they come from, animals, and uh, how they spread. Uh, lots of mutation, and do they ever go away? No. no. And how can we ever? Yeah, like. So we did this early on in 2020. When we started looking in, like, well, let's talk about this on post-Orthodoxy. This talk, this seems like an important issue. And since we're going to be locked down for a couple of weeks, um, maybe we should find out what a coronavirus is. So we yeah. just looked it up. And it's like, they mutate like a motherfucker. <laughs> um, and that's why we don't have vaccines. So the thing to do is get a treatment for it, like uh, Fauci and the NIH found in 2005. Yeah. However, there's no money in that. The new drug that Pfizer has developed that apparently has some promising um, has some promise is about seven hundred dollars per pill. Right, the fake ivermectin. The fake ivermectin. The, le- the less effective iver- ivermectin knockoff. And then ivermectin is about six cents a dose. John Ivankovich says most narratives given about the old school butte miners are given from people who never worked in the mines and never made a living as a skilled laborer. That's right. That's what I hear. That's where a lot of the discontent comes from. Great comment, Dark. Thank you. I feel like a lot of the people who like to live in... uh, I found this with my parents. My parents are very proud of our ancestors for the great achievements that they've done and some of their little roles actually in history books and in rotundas of the nation's capital. That's my family, right? Yeah. Big shots. Yeah. I'm like, well... I don't know if you can bask in their glory if you yourself are not doing something today. Yeah. You don't mm, get to I see, I see. You don't get to claim that glory for yourself mm-hmm. if you yourself are not doing something equivalent. And so what I see in Butte is a lot of people whose identity is based on a history, mm-hmm. but not on a present experience, which History is awesome. I love history. I, I like knowing the history of the town. I feel like that there are threads that come through from the past into the present. There are opportunities. But to sit there and have the, uh, especially in Butte, the left-wing politics of Butte, 
seem to identify themselves as New Deal Democrats when the Democrats haven't done anything like that since I've been in Butte. The idea that we were going to have universal health care as soon as we elected Joe Biden and got the House and the Senate, everybody's kind of quiet about not getting universal health care in the midst of a pandemic. I don't know how the left can keep thinking that they're New Deal Democrats when they haven't done anything like that for a long time. John Ivankovich says, why did they go from Delta to Omicron in the Greek alphabet? Well, there's an article in the, in the Montana Standard today that explains that. Some said that they didn't want to make the other, the, the two letters in between, they didn't want to make them political. One of the letters happens to be the first name of the... the Savior? No, the China. Oh, the China, C, Chinese president. C. Omicron? Yeah. Come on in. Not now, Mason. We'll be oh. out in a minute. We probably have to wrap it up only because of, I just mm. keep coughing. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. What? No. We're on a phone call. Anyway, the next generation is trying to break in. Nephew. These are the things that I wanted to cover this week. I want to talk about this week. I want to do some research and talk about Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. Mm-hmm. Jesse Smollett's trial mm -hmm. and the fallout from Kyle Rittenhouse's trial. You want to talk about that when? For our next show. Okay. Because like we, those are some really big trials that are going on right now. Uh, they just said that nobody's allowed to share anything from the Maxwell trial. She's probably going to die. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. We can't. National security. National security. Blah, blah, blah. That's nuts, so they just man. basically said, yeah, you can't know anything about that trial. Yeah. Oh, Norm Goodman says, hi, sorry I'm late. Thanks for playing, Norm. Thanks for coming into the story. If you do, most of the talking will be fine. I usually do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for talking uh, to us in the chat. Uh, as far as the Omicron variant goes, instantly there was all this, oh, my God, it's a new variant, right? I shared a tweet this morning that said, uh, it said, spoiler alert, there's always going to be new uh, variants. I love that. Forever. That's what coronaviruses do. That's the thing that we looked up early in the pandemic. We're like, hey, it seems like we just have to wait out because it's a novel virus. Right. We don't have, we don't have mm -hmm. um, protection against that virus. We need to take care of the people. This is the idea of the... Um, of the Great Barrington Declaration was focused protection. Mm -hmm. We actually had drugs that we could have given to people who were most at risk. It's atrocious how many people it. who died that didn't need to die. So it's it's shocking. It should be shocking, I think, to most people. Yeah. That we went with an experiment rather than known medicines mm -hmm. that could have taken care of the people most at risk. And allowed the rest of us to go on and develop herd immunity. That's what we were talking about early in 2020. Apparently, herd immunity comes when the people who are healthy that can take the hit, mm -hmm. take the hit, get a little sick, and then get better and build herd immunity. Yeah. And then somehow there was this massive conspiracy. Well, and they build, I will call it a conspiracy. They build broad spectrum immunity because as the variants come out and change, people are each getting immunity from a slightly different version of the current coronavirus which means that we're all it's like you don't want an army where everybody is carrying spears now you have an like if you vaccinate everybody with the same vaccine you have a human army where everyone is carrying spears 
But if you do herd immunity, where you're carefully protecting people most at risk and giving early treatments and preventative treatments, and then people get natural immunity to the to the coronavirus as it mutates, then you're building an army where some people have spears, and some people have bows and arrows, and some people are on horses, and some people have swords, and it's much healthier over time. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to share something here that we've talked about on the show today, but since we have somebody here, this is a, a nice little glyph. Uh, it's an image. I don't know who put it together, but it's taking uh, information from the WHO newsroom. These are snapshots from the WHO website. Okay. On the subject of herd immunity theory, and I think it's a pretty damning. This this is the kind of stuff that we should be having Nuremberg trials over. This mm-hmm. is this would be an exhibit in that trial. Um, 70 years of science. This is what the WHO said about herd immunity for the last 70 years. What is herd immunity? This is from the 9th of June, 2020. This, June. this was still up on the 9th of June, 2020. Okay, so a few, months, few months into the U.S. Right. version of the pandemic. Herd immunity is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. Yes, that's that's science. This means that even people who haven't been infected or in whom an infection hasn't triggered an immune response, they are protected because people around them who are immune can act as buffers between them and an infected person. The threshold for establishing herd immunity for COVID-19 is not yet clear. So that's where they left off from 70 years of science and data. Hmm. So let's see what happens on the 13th of November, 2020. Uh, in that first, in that definition from uh, June, uh, vaccination was credited one time and natural infection was credited equally one time. So in November, a few months later, this is what they say. What is herd immunity? Herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is a concept used for vaccination in which a population can be protected from a certain virus if a threshold of vaccination is reached. Herd immunity is achieved by protecting people from a virus, not by exposing them to it. Naughty, naughty. Read by Director you General's 12 October media speech for more detail. You so they left herd immunity out of 70 years of known science. Suddenly it just disappeared. This is the World Health Organization. This is an authority we should be trusting. This is an institution we should be going to for information about how to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Okay. And somehow 70 you years of science disappeared and there's no data saying why that should be the case. Hmm. Now that was November. Now these are little definitions. Let's look at this giant definition. That is from 31st of December 2020, just before we really start rolling out the vaccines. Um, Vaccination is mentioned 18 times. In Oh, wow. Natural infection is mentioned one time with no percent credit towards herd immunity mentioned. Right. This is what they say in December 31st. Herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. 
WHO supports achieving herd immunity through vaccination, not by allowing a disease to spread through any segment of the population. Any segment. This would result in unnecessary cases and deaths. Unnecessary cases. It sounds like they're trying to eradicate all sickness. This is the story. It doesn't make sense. This is the story. Herd immunity against COVID-19 should be achieved by protecting people through vaccination, not by exposing them to the pathogen that causes the disease. They just keep reiterating over and over and over that herd immunity is no longer a thing. This is what happened early on when we're trying to understand. We're like, hey, I don't know anything about viruses. I don't know anything about epidemiology. I don't know anything about it. So we should find out some stuff. Yeah. What is a virus? How does it work? Oh, we've had viruses our entire history. Yeah. This is who we are. Actually. Up to five pounds of yourself is, at any given time is genetic material that's not you, but I, bacteria, viruses. I get system updates on my computer whenever new information is available to make my computer run better. Yeah. Viruses do uh, that thing. When you encounter a virus, your body does a system update. Yeah. To make sure it can handle the load. Yeah. That's what we, I'm like, uh, that makes sense. And then I looked into herd immunity. We also looked into the idea of germ theory versus terrain theory. Yes. I'm like, I've never heard of terrain theory. What is terrain theory? No. Germ theory says. Can I do that? Yeah. You all know germ theory because it's very similar to Christianity. There are some germs out there and they're bad and they might get you for no reason. Like demons or the devil. Like sin. Yeah. Right. Bad things are just out there, and they'll just get you for no reason. You have to avoid that at all costs. You just have to avoid germs. Right. Or, if you encounter some germs, you will get sick. Yeah, if you get the germ, you'll get sick. That is not entirely correct. <laughs> that's what a lot of people think germ theory, that's what the, the gist of germ theory is. And most of our modern science around virology is based on germ theory. There was a rival cat. I don't know if you can find that guy's name. There was a rival cat with uh, Louis Pasteur, who had this other theory called terrain theory. And his theory was germs everywhere. Right. You're not going to avoid them. Um, You get sick when your terrain, when your body becomes compromised in some way. This is nuts. You can't find them anymore? All of the top results are just talking about germ theory denialism. Well, because I found out about germ theory... Uh, Before they started calling it germ theory, we we experienced the internet changing. Yeah. Like, when we first started researching how to keep ourselves safe from this virus back in, like, March 2020, we came upon germ theory versus terrain theory. Now, we all know that you are less likely to get sick if you are a healthy body mass index... If you move your body regularly every day, if you eat healthy foods, if you get good sleep, if you're not in a stressful situation all the time, you're generally less likely to get sick. We just sort of know these like common sense colloquially. Mm -hmm. And that's what terrain theory is, is codifying that common sense knowledge that the healthier the person, the less likely they are to become symptomatically ill when they encounter a pathogen. Right. It's not just that pathogens just get you no matter what happens. If your vitamin D and vitamin C levels are not low, you're less likely to get sick even if a virus does float into your nose. You're going to encounter the virus. You're going to do a system upgrade. Yeah. You're going to make sure it doesn't get you. And then it remembers that bitch next time it comes. I never knew that yeah. there was a name for that common sense knowledge. That the healthier the person is, the less likely they are to get sick. But it's called terrain theory. If the terrain of your body is healthy... 
you are less likely to get sick when you encounter a pathogen, even when you encounter a pathogen. And so we started learning about this in spring of 2020. On Wikipedia. We just went to Wikipedia. Yeah. Like, hey, what's oh, this theory? Here's terrain theory. Right. Um, they're like a competitor of Louis Pasteur at the time was also researching how do germs affect the body? Because back then they did not know. And Pasteur came up with one theory, and this guy came up with another theory. And they knew each other. And, and they, they were and, fighting, and they were rivals. And then Louis died. <coughs> but before he died... He said, you know what? Maybe germ theory is not all about it. Yeah, he's Maybe like... Maybe there's some room for both to live in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he died. Right. However, since, <laughs> since spring 2020, the internet has changed, including Wikipedia, which Wikipedia does because it's just run by humans. But the internet has broad spectrum change... That there's no way for you to just look up terrain theory without being bitch slapped with germ theory denialism. Yeah, it's called germ theory they denialism. They renamed now. the Wikipedia page for terrain theory, which is a valid scientific hypothesis based on data and observations, to germ theory denialism. It doesn't even exist on its own anymore. Nope. Germ theory denialism is the pseudoscientific belief that germs do not cause infectious disease which is not what terrain theory says at all, and that the germ theory of disease is wrong. It usually involves arguing with Louis Pasteur's model that his model of infectious disease was wrong and that Antoine Bichamp was right. So this, this new version of Wikipedia is not only lying about what terrain theory is saying, but it completely, it doesn't empower you to actually make a decision for yourself. That might it's just saying, no, this is bad. Because of germ theory, that explains why... In the last two years, we haven't had health authorities tell us that maybe we want to prepare our terrain with vitamin D and getting some good exercise and maybe shedding a few pounds. And nobody was telling you that. Making sure that we're not eating things that have inflammatory problems with our system. Mm -hmm. We could be averting death with that information. Fewer people could be getting sick and dying if our health authorities told us things that we know to keep us from getting sick and dying. For some reason, they're not telling us those things. And that makes me, you know, that's the kind of stuff that makes people who are in the pocket of a political version of a medical narrative say, I'm a nut. Mm. Because how could, are you, this is what I keep getting, are you saying that all of the scientists and all of the politicians and all of the media is in one vast conspiracy to not do that? You crazy person. I'm not saying that. I'm <laughs> saying... That that's really likely, and it's not all of them. It's not all of them. There's a concentration of power in all of those scenarios. And there are a ton of doctors and scientists that are disagreeing. Yes. Those choices that we're making, that they're making on the nightly news, and they're making as political policy, that is not about health. That's my assertion. It's not about Hmm. public health. Mercurius Rx has joined us on Twitch. Welcome back. Welcome back. Always good to have return, return friends of the show. Yeah. Um, Ted Deschner pointed out earlier that Omicron was like a 1960s movie about aliens coming to take over the human race. I saw his post. Yeah. And Mercurius RX says that Omicron was a good old cyberpunk video game with David Bowie. Mm. I oh, had no idea. Interesting. Um, David Bowie's always at the front edge of things. Of everything. David Bowie yeah. and the Simpsons. And then he's wondering if the catchy names serve a purpose. He says this is this is like marketing applied to viruses, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dark side of marketing. Like, most marketing is dark side because it's all manipulating you to buy things you don't necessarily need or want. But um, sometimes you can use marketing for good. We definitely try to use marketing in order to garner support for our show so that we can continue doing this research and not take, like, 
other jobs that take us away from talking about this stuff with you guys. Um, but yeah, I think naming them, when you name something, you have power over it. And when something has a name, um, it sticks in people's minds better, mm. for sure. Yeah, naming, you're not... You're going to run out of names for this variant because it's going to be with us. This this virus is going to be with us until it's not, mm -hmm. which is probably when we're not or all animals and life are not in here anymore. I gave it a, a comparison early on when they started talking about the Delta variant, like it was so surprising that cor that this coronavirus had mutated. Um, and I was like, look, we name hurricanes because there are only so many a year. And because they're really devastating, and we do need to keep track of what's going on right, with them. Right, You know? You need to be able to delineate one from the other. Exactly. I don't know if you've But if been... we named every tornado that hit the Midwest, we would go nuts. And it would completely negate the effect of having a naming system for the deadly hurricanes. And the hysteria that's going on, and I'll call it hysteria, the hysteria going on over the new variant. It, it, it seems that it, in Botswana is where they said it came from. Uh, Botswana is about 2% uh, vaccinated, and the variant was found in, I think, four or five individuals who had all been vaccinated. Isn't that interesting? Say those things one more time. Yes. Um, Africa as a whole is about 6% vaccinated. Right. Botswana is like, I think, 2 to 4% vaccinated. Mm -hmm. The people that they found the Omicron variant were vaccinated. Yeah, that makes sense because they've only they've only acquired they've only acquired a very narrow version of of partial immunity so, to a part of the virus. And apparently, uh, the South African doctor who um, had been treating people with this variant before it was named, and then when they named it, they're like, "Oh, this fits." Apparently, it's muscle aches for a couple of days. That's Omicron. Omicron. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently the Omicron variant, uh, now I guess it might affect you differently if you're not a young, healthy person, just like the rest of the SARS-CoV-2 variants. Right. It might affect you differently if you, if your terrain is fucked up, uh, you will have a worse time. Yeah. Um, so this idea, uh, this is what we learned with trying to understand what a coronavirus is in the spring of 2020. The virus comes out, people get sick, um, it mutates. The mutations are more virulent and less deadly. Right. I don't see any reason why Omicron should be any different than what coronaviruses do. I don't. I don't think we've seen. I've seen no evidence that Omicron variant is more virulent and more deadly. So this seems like we should be welcoming the Omicron variant because... The faster it mutates, the less deadly it is. The faster it mutates, the less deadly it is. We should be excited that there's new variants. Why isn't that the news? Yay. Well, because you're not a scientist, Dark. So uh, there's a tweet that I shared today on the Post Orthodoxy Twitter page uh, from this lady named uh, New York City Angry Mom. And she says, the affluent love lockdowns. It gives them an excuse to further segregate themselves from the masses to get off the treadmill for a bit, to have complete control over their social calendar, and to shuffle risk to the working class. Ooh. So when they start talking about um, lockdowns again because of this new scary variant, think about who wants the lockdown. The pajama class, the, the, the laptop class. Yeah. The What are the other? I love that. I like the pajama class. Um, People who can make a living in their home, not be abused by their partner, have enough food, not lose their house, 
and then call people who have to work at the grocery store heroes. Yeah. Until they won't get the vaccine. And they're not heroes. Uh, so uh, I've been scrolling through Twitter for news on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Oh. Um, and because we've got the three 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 big things that I know about going on right now is Jesse Smollett. <laughs> It's a it's it's indicative of a systemic problem, and I'm not talking about racism. No, really. no. <laughs> we have a systemic problem. We're not doing a very good job of fixing generational issues with each other mm. in this country right now. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of fighting and a lot of picking sides and a lot of reactions, and the reactions are so virulent that people can't actually evolve. Are you tapping me for a reason? No. Okay. I like um, you. I like you too. Okay. So, so the Jesse Smollett thing, from what I've heard, is that he was an up-and-coming actor who was getting really famous, and at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement a couple years ago, or last year, he staged an attack on himself when he was like out at the gas station or something, and hired some white dudes to come beat him up so that he could say that he was a target of of racial violence. MAGA characters. Yeah. Fake, so jumping fake on the, they were like from Ukraine or something. He was on the Orange Man Bad um, Orange Man Bad. He was trying to profit off the Orange Man Bad train. Yeah, and, and up his profile as a, yeah. victim, as a victim. And it was found out awkwardly quickly that he had staged the whole thing and paid those guys. That's embarrassing. That's really embarrassing. Um, and so they're going to do a trial about that. I wonder if, if that's so dangerous they can't tell us about it. Or is that going to be on the news five times a day, every day? Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure we're going to continue to hear fallout of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, where um, the left is going to continue to just pretend it's impossible to know anything other than that he was a bad, bad boy. Who killed black men. Who killed, who raised into a crowd <laughs> and started a fight, and he deserves everything that he's not getting. Um, but what's really going on right now is the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. So, um... At Pikami Hitler on mm. Twitter shared this deliciously slicing, sarcastic tweet. Okay. Remember that Pizzagate is not real and there is not a federal trial going on for Ghislaine Maxwell, who did not have a global sex trafficking ring <laughs> that was not connected to any in influential individuals, notably, definitely not the Clintons, British royalty, mm -hmm. shipping company, Titans, etc. Right. So uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. I want to share this um, this article in The Spectator, 26th of November, 2021. Get ready for this headline. Okay. Hold your head. It oh. might want to explode. Oh, guys. Oh, this one's bad. German euthanasia clinics refusing unvaccinated customers. Let's just think about that for a second. I'll just read it. Irony has been declared many times in this pandemic, but now from COVID-riddled Germany comes the final proof. You can't kill yourself now unless you've been vaccinated. As European countries battle to limit the spread of the virus, Verin Sturbehilfe, a German euthanasia association, the German euthanasia association, has issued a new directive declaring it would now only help those who have been vaccinated or recovered from the disease. In a statement... The association says, euthanasia and the preparatory examination of the voluntary responsibility of our members willing to die require human closeness. Human closeness, however, is a prerequisite 
and breeding ground for coronavirus transmission. As of today, the 2G rule applies to our association, supplemented by situation-related measures, such as quick tests before encounters in closed rooms. Okay, so you got to get the vaccine <laughs> before they all kill you. Or... Or have be able to prove that you've recovered from the illness. The headline is great. Oh, that's great that they're allowing natural immunity in. They're allowing, yeah. That's a movement. I feel like if your family wants to get together in a room and personal protective equipment actually works, that the doctor administering your euthanasia ought to be able to wear enough personal protective equipment to administer your euthanasia for you, and your family can do whatever the fuck they want. Because it's their choice whether they want to all sit in a room together with you while you pass on, vaccinated or not. <sighs> That's just nuts, man. So there's another thing I wanted to share. Great headline, though. It's hilarious. This is another uh, uh, Trash Panda shared another uh, tweet that I really enjoyed. Um, it's a Herald Sun article. And this is the headma- uh, headline for the this is the Herald Sun sharing tweeting out their article and this is what they chose to leave the article with a Port Phillip prison officer who was set to lose his job after he declined to be vaccinated has died with covid so there's one of those journalistic trigger words we talked about earlier in the show anytime so, somebody says fully vaccinated or with covid a little alarm bell should go up and you should do some more research. So Angry Aussie shared the Herald Sun post saying that a Port Phillip prison officer who was set to lose his job after he declined to be vaccinated has died with COVID. Okay. So Trash Panda re- responded to his tweet and he said he had stage four cancer. Ah! And then Angry Aussie said, you're worthless garbage and utterly beneath contempt. We've lost our minds. So he called him out and said, yeah, he died with, he had stage four cancer. He was dying. And now they made the article, he lost his job because he wouldn't get vaccinated and he died with COVID. Yeah. With a positive test of COVID? Sick with COVID? We Uh, don't even know if he was sick. uh, A friend of mine in Texas said that she and several of her family members, oh no, this was a friend in Butte. Um, she and several of her female family members, her mother, her daughter, um, when they would go in for routine tests, like gynecological exams that women do every year, every couple of years, they were being tested for COVID without requesting a COVID test. Oh, okay. So, so you could have more cases? I guess. Look at all the cases of COVID. Yeah. So if we go back to that uh, World Health Organization um Original, what is herd immunity from 9th of June, 2020? Herd immunity is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune, either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. This means that even people who haven't been infected or in whom infection hasn't triggered an immune response, they are protected because people around them who are immune can act as buffers between them. This is what we knew. So... Let's look at that one phrase where they say, in whom an infection hasn't triggered an immune response. That part has been left out of the cases. So they keep saying, we had 300 new cases. I'm like, 
Well, that's a positive test. It doesn't mean they got sick. Yeah. It's and, not a symptomatic case. So that could be somebody who is now serving as a herd immune person. I think that's the thing that I, that should be encouraging. If you have 300 new cases and only 0.5% of those people actually got sick, that means 99.5% of the people are acting as the herd immune. But they sell it as a rise in cases is dangerous. This is really bad gaslighting. I mean, it's not even it's not even tricky. No. It's really bad gaslighting. And if you have a few moments in the day and you figure out what a coronavirus is and you understand what herd immunity was before uh, November of last year and you understand what a vaccine is uh, before September of this year, you would see that this is a giant gaslighting and we're being conned and it's yeah. not about public health. This is not me being a conspiracy nut. This is me being concerned as a member of my community. And maybe you should be concerned too. I feel like I should be raging right now. I should be like Alex Jones smashing the desk saying, God damn it, we're being attacked by like... Uh, and they're killing a, people. An evil cabal that is causing death and mayhem and destruction of... Because that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad, I guess, because I've been through a number of apocalypses in my life and I'm burned out. Ooh. So, um, Frank Ruffalo tuned in. Yeah, Frank Ruffalo. Um, I, I know that guy. I stayed on this couch when I came through Butte in 1998. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Frank, he says, viruses mutate when their survival is threatened, like by a vaccine. Yes. And they always mutate into something weaker. The vaccinated are the source of the variants. Yes. Oh, there's a really wonderful article. Um, Merck's disease. Do I have that one up somewhere? I was talking about this like a decade ago, you know, like yeah. um, I coming from largely conservative circles where I grew up, there are a lot of people that um, that are that are actually anti-vax, as in they don't trust any of the vaccines that are FDA approved or being pushed in the U.S. And there are a lot of people that are that are vaccine hesitant. Um, they they want to do vaccines for their children, but they're not going to give them any vaccines in the first week. You know, like some some hospital policies and vaccination policies give your baby like three shots within its first few hours of life. Um, and it's understandable that people would be a little hesitant about that sort of invasion into the natural like birth and growth process. So it's always been a topic in the circles that I grew up in. And uh, you know, I did some like precursory for funsies research into what happens when you vaccinate against an illness, and what happens is they mutate mm. to try to survive. Um, thankfully, we've had some really, really strong vaccines against some of these really, really bad illnesses like polio and smallpox. But it's it's worth like this was already a, an awareness in my mind that the more we vaccinate against an illness. A virus, the more likely the virus is to try to find a way to survive, which means it's going to mutate, which means it's going to spread more than it maybe would have if we hadn't vaccinated, which is why we need to do cost-benefit analysis of whether or not the spread caused by vaccination and escape, um, immune, um, viral escape, mm -hmm. right, is worth, is, is, is less, as long as the spread ends up being less deadly than the virus itself, then the vaccination can be considered worth it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I found a, an article, and it's getting harder and harder to find. This is a part of that ever-changing internet. It's an article 
I, I think I talked about it on a previous show. It shows that there's a Merrick's disease, which is a... But you got to start keeping, like, a... I have it in my notes, but yeah. I don't want to go looking through my notes right now. Merrick's disease is a disease that is, like, a, is costing the chicken industry billions of dollars every year because it's a virus that chickens get. They decided to vaccinate against that. And okay. what they found... We should just stop the chickens from doing that. Yeah, what they found, and this is where they discovered that it's a bad idea to try to immunize against an active pandemic mm -hmm. because by immunizing the chickens it produced more virulent versions of Merrick's disease and so the immunized chickens were actually putting the unimmunized chickens at risk because the unimmunized chickens weren't going to they were fine they had they had some kind of protection until yeah. they started vaccinating mm. vaccinating all they they started vaccinating the chickens and creating more virulent strains of the disease mm. this was what was warned against at the beginning before they rolled out this vaccine and it appears to be what is occurring since the omicron variant was only found in the vaccinated in a country where only 4% of the people were vaccinated yeah and they say there are like no omicron variants in the US yet uh, apparently they ended up in Canada, and that's another interesting thing. Canada's on lockdown. The only people that can travel are the vaccinated. So it wasn't the unvaccinated bringing in the variant. Oopsie. Uh, these are really simple things. We should uh, sort of... Uh, this uh, is what we do on post-orthodoxy, is this introduction of reasonable doubt. We need to be holding our folks accountable. There seems to be um, an inability for folks in a democracy to hold their representatives accountable for um, substituting policy for science. And we there's enough science out there now. This thing's been going on for a while. We've got the data. We should actually start demanding that our representatives have science-based policy and not political-based policy. Ooh. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. We should do that thing. Okay. Um, so... There have been far more than three COVID variants. Oh, yeah. Um, this Wikipedia article is complex, but it has sources from JAMA and the CDC. I'm just going to share this link. Um, there have been many more variants of SARS-CoV-2, which causes the illness COVID-19. Right. Um, I'm not talking about original SARS. I'm talking about SARS-CoV-2 which is the quote-unquote new virus that supposedly started spreading around the world in December 2019. Um, there have been, well, of course, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, and then all the other ones leading up to Omicron. Uh, but there are also several variants of interest as opposed to variants of concern. This is how John Hopkins sorts them. Um, and if you scroll down farther in this Wikipedia article, variants of SARS-CoV-2, they show you the top ones that are the big named ones. And then mm -hmm. further down, you can see like B1.12357 and et cetera, which is lots of other mutations going on that are not considered deadly enough to talk about or attempt to vaccinate against all things being equal. Okay, I found the article from, oh, my, sweet. from my notes. I um, recommend people looking it up. It's from Penn State. Uh, this is epidemics.psu.edu. 
the name of the article is Merrick's disease, M-A-R-E-K-S, Merrick's disease. Leaky vaccines promote the transmission of more virulent virus. That is something I think we it's good information to arm yourself with. The general idea is that um, the vaccines, uh, the people who get vaccinated in the midst of a pandemic put the unvaccinated at greater risk. Seems noteworthy. Put that in your tool belt. I really appreciate you guys turning in, uh, tuning in to the show today, even though we don't have our fancy-dancy studio with all our ability to share uh, screenshots so you can see the links that we're showing you in real time. Um, But I I feel good getting uh, the latest data off my chest Mm -hmm. so I can go find some new stuff now. Yeah. Thank you for putting all that together and sharing with us. Also, if you want to support what we're doing with a little $5 a month recurring donation, you can find us at postorthodoxy.com. There's a little subscription button. We're getting uh, better propaganda to compel you to pay us written on that page right now. But if you enjoy what we're doing um, and you want to support us, you can help us out with a little donation, recurring donation to the postorthodoxy.com website so that we can feel encouraged to continue to do this work and more. And if that's not in your wheelhouse right now, if $5 a month is not in your wheelhouse right now, which I Mm. understand, times are tough, you can subscribe to us, like us, go to your notifications on Facebook, and make sure that you uh, favorite post-Orthodoxy, because otherwise you will not get notifications when we go live. That's right. Um, Follow us on Twitch. Thanks to the people that lurked on Twitch today. We appreciate you guys. And leave some hearts, leave some likes on YouTube. Thank you to Paul Niehaus, who tuned in on YouTube today. Yeah, and, um, and, and uh, like us on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. We're and sharing even, so even many Even if you're not on Twitter. on Twitter, just find post-Orthodoxy on Twitter yeah. if you're looking for news and information, because that is now where we're starting to warehouse a lot of the threads that we develop for weekly shows, because mm-hmm. it's become unfruitful to post those things on Facebook. Yeah. Also, Post Orthodoxy on Facebook can be liked, because I do take some highlights and put it on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then that way you will get a notification <coughs> when we go live, and we're doing our best to find another live platform to move to. But at this point, it still makes sense to go live on Facebook, and people can share from there. Okay. My bladder calls me. Oh, snap. All right. Thanks, guys. We appreciate thanks you. Thanks for playing, guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you on Sunday at noon. See you next time. Thank you for visiting our Outpost in the Borderlands. Post-Orthodoxy is a project of Sevier Studios. We host ongoing, interactive conversations centered around cognitive liberty, and you can join in by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can also catch each conversation after the fact as a podcast by searching for Post-Orthodoxy wherever podcasts are found. If you take value from the work we are doing and the community we are building together, you can support the Outpost in the Borderlands for as little as $5 a month on our website, BetterTime. That's betterti.me. Visit the Sevier Studios page and subscribe. You can also support The Outpost by following and connecting with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and or Substack. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble? I think I dribbled a bit, that last one.